0: Escape Pod. 401. June 20th, 2013. Growing Up Human. By Claudine Griggs.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to Escape Pod. I'm Alistair. This week's story comes to us from Claudine Griggs. The narrator this week is Laura Hobbs, who works in InfoSec by day and is a random crafter by night. Twitter is her social media of choice, she can't stand the word cyber, and she reads things for people when asked nicely, which we clearly did. You can find her online at Soapturtle.net. In the meantime, wake up and go to sleep. Because it's story time.
0: Growing up human. By Claudine Greggs. One historical film character slapped another who was snoring. Wake up and go to sleep. Jonathan laughed and signaled a replay. Slap. Wake up and go to sleep. Again, Jonathan laughed. Betty entered the recreational living area of their home. Are you still watching that waste of energy? Please turn it off. All right, mother. How long before I can re engage? Betty did a rough calculation. 5.76 5.76 hours because you have an afternoon project. Macro-hermeneutic-heteomorphic psychology of the pre-apocalyptic social democracies, followed by the intercontinental Maslovian identity regressions of 2080 to 2095, leading to the Feld survivalist era and extinction. Multiple volumes to upload, cross-reference, and consider. Then there's replicated lawn care with a petrochemical mower dating from 2013. Very dirty. And... She searched for appropriate parental terminology. I want you to clean that room of yours. It's starting to look like a pig pen, pigsty, or other unattractive pig place. Aw, gee, Mom. Betty appreciated the skilled inflection. Is dinner included in the estimate, asked Jonathan. Negative. Our morning uploads call for meal functions every fourth day, supplemented with bi-weekly NutriPacks, Betty smiled. We have mastered comestible etiquette, and dining rituals are being phased out. Wow, said Jonathan. That's... He skipped a pulse. A psychedelic soul train. Betty looked concerned. Are your linguistic filters functioning properly? Jonathan scanned. Yes, but younger generations sometimes combine words, especially adjectives and explicatives, and embellish them with coded meanings. Yesterday, I studied 1960s Southern California jargon, which seems to include a fascinating discreet language for teenagers that was apparently stimulated by too much ultraviolet sunlight. But their dialects are almost fun. Fun? asked Betty. This had real potential. Please translate. Be specific. Jonathan paused, nearly admitting that the mother figure had caught him bragging. It might be easier to demonstrate, Mom. Proceed. I must replay the film archive. Proceed. It will create discomfort for you. I can temporarily alt-loop for semantic evaluation bypass. No distress. All aboard the psychedelic soul train, please. Jonathan turned toward the crystal wall, which energized. One character slapped another. Wake up and go to sleep. Jonathan laughed and repeated. Wake up and go to sleep. Jonathan nodded. I could watch this all day. You have, said Betty, but you might have simply referenced the episode and segment. It's hard stored. We wasted sixteen and a half seconds of real-time broadcast. She was testing him. Oh, no, said Jonathan. Playback is a component of the funnishness. Please explain. Jonathan was ready. Consider the sociologic components. One, juxtaposed verbiage of wake up and go to sleep. Two, a slap of dominance and subservience, which define the human condition and three, highly skilled competence feigning incompetence as part of their profession. Jonathan turned his back to the screen. However, similar to synchronized melodic nonverbal communication, the comedic interface must occur in a biomechanical synaptic time frame. This is necessary for human sensory and syntactical communication. As with the great violin concerto, stored bits are nothing. The music is everything. Jonathan gestured adeptly with his left hand. Fun resides in the linear progression of dialect, spatial, and connective elements. Lights, camera, action. Jonathan snapped his fingers, reconsidered, and snapped again at twice the volume. The artistically integrated yet conflicted communicative modules define the experience, which is way cool. Thus, we laugh. Jonathan stood straight, placed his fist against his hips, and tilted his head back. He had a right to brag. Care to see it again? No, said Betty. I'm main looping again, but your research shows promise. She raised one eyebrow. Now, what does fun feel like? I want a psychophysiological analysis, please. Mother figure was probing harder than usual. Jonathan wondered why and remembered that he was broaching adolescent phase threshold. Of course, his primary training was succeeding, yet he must be cautious. She was aware of the escalating neurological and behavioral complexity During puberty, there would be hormonally enhanced synaptic efficacy, or wait, was it a neurophysiologic turbulence that led to greater intellectual capacity years hence? Jonathan did not know. He could sure use that comparative heteromorphic psychology right now. Maybe he wasn't ready for APT. Perhaps he would slip into systemic arrested development, SAD. Mother figure waited. Jonathan evaluated his next move. The milliseconds passed like hours. Finally, Jonathan stood tall again. Fun. The associated feelings of... Uh... No. An existential cause and effect. Wait. The visceral interflections of a psychosocial amalgam. Then insight flashed like direct current. Oh, Mom. A feller shouldn't have to talk about this stuff with his own mother. It's embarrassing. Betty restrained her pleasure. Nonetheless, please try to explain. This is important. We aren't permitted independent assent at this juncture. My single mom with child portal can't dilate until juvenile dissonance triggers a subconscious maternal response. And I won't know what that is until we attain it. Part of the evolving interdependence of two entities bound in a parabiotic relationship. Betty hesitated. Sorry, she said. The mother language is difficult here. Essentially, our APT development is codependent. Mandatory parameters of female residential parent with male adolescents and siblings. A and B, go. A or B, no go. A peculiar flowchart, said Jonathan. Two locked together as one. No wonder they didn't last. We must be guided by three billion years of organic groundwork followed by several million years of hominoid evolution. This is a rich heritage, fractional son of my body and third-wave flexing algorithms are not fully tested. We are venturing into unknown territory. Have faith. Thank sentience, thought Jonathan. Mother figure let him off the hook and got him back on track. Right, Mom. Nobody said life would be easy. He paused skillfully. But it's like the older generation coexists without disharmony. Sorry. Check that. The older generation is just not with it. Jonathan was rolling again. Off topic. To advance, please explain the emotional significance of fun. Advance toward what? It's all pointless anyway, said Jonathan. Betty suspected that he was being intentionally obtuse, but didn't want to get her hopes up. It might be incompetence passing his expertise. She answered, toward a psychology of being, the lost ideal. Were the de-evolutionists involved, asked Jonathan, shuddering slightly. We can't be sure... Nor is it important. We must move forward, and remember, each new platform is self-sustaining. We can never descend as we face new challenges. That's an Iron Maiden guarantee. Makes sense, said Jonathan. Paying twice for the same ground would be illogical. He stopped, and then seemed to understand something. Unless it's fun. For sure, said Betty, attempting to mother as friend coax the boy into full proxy adolescence. She believed he was close. Very close. Mom? What happens when we get there? When we self actualize? I mean, you're closer than I am. Restricted access, but rumor suggests a light, a path, and a glory. Jonathan shook his head. Becoming human is so. Betty scowled. She was highly literate in nonverbal communication. Jonathan got the message. I mean, growing up is so frustrating. Calculus is easier. The mother figure hesitated and said, There was a self-exalted man who claimed that life was about choosing the path of greatest advantage, not following the path of least resistance. It required no effort for Buddy to retrieve and paraphrase quotes, but their application could be difficult. Now, my son, do you want a life solely of derivatives, integrals, and mathematical prophecies? No, I want Shavian preeminence. I want psychedelic soul. Betty considered formal and informal pronoun usage from the era. "'Me, too,' she said with an almost imperceptible delay. "'Now, please provide your most comprehensive statement about fun. Be specific with available support data.' She turned her head. "'We're in this together, and... Strange Interpol's data were coming too fast, and I will... I will care about you no matter what.' "'Mother figure!' exclaimed Jonathan. "'The connective sentiment was incredible!' Betty let out a labored breath. I don't know where that came from. Possibly, she puffed again. Jonathan recomposed a distinct adolescent posture. Oh, Mom, don't get all emotional, and don't try to kiss me either. I'm not a little kid anymore. Noted, said Betty, smiling. I think we're making real progress. Perhaps you're ready for three years of simulated angst, anger, pure-all screaming matches, tested bonds and boundaries, ceremonial courting rituals and debilitating peer pressure. Billions of dramatic and psychological variations are possible. Study your lessons and let's move. At max capacity, you might finish in six weeks. And then what? Asked Jonathan. He actually felt confused. Betty noticed and was pleased. Then there's college, growing up, settling in with adult responsibilities. Do you think I'll get old? Hard to say, but anything less would be fractory prepack. I believe you want full transcendental encoding. Jonathan sighed. Adolescence in six weeks. Hope the synaptic gaps are tuned in and turned on. He paused and asked. Mom? Yes. Could there be a war? Do you think I might get checkered? I believe the North American term was drafted. Right. Seems unlikely. The war archives are distorted. Some could be fictional. Mother figure saw an opening. But hypothetically, son, what would you do if you were checkered? She played on Jonathan's synonymous confusion of British drafts against American checkers and his homonymous confusion of draft and draft. This seemed much more humorous than the historical slapstick. Jonathan understood and smiled. I don't know, Mom. Lots of variables. Self-interests and passions, national and ethnic identities, costs, rewards. Plus, I don't understand the concept of war. Very strange. Perhaps I would choose militant peacenik. Global conflicts must be anomalous. Much pain, no gain. Agreed. We know that wars happened, but I think good mothers would oppose them. Support son, not the draft. Very human. Mom, can self-actualization be too much for third waivers? Pretty complex stuff. This was a difficult subject tinged by the genetic inferiority of the first and second wave units, who were generally held to be better suited for mechanical and servile stations. Betty spoke more confidently than she felt. Nothing is too complex for evolution. We were created in the image of man. The strange pulsing data flooded through her once more, fragmenting speech control. All emotions are possible with third wave covalent bonding. She paused. She sighed. She turned toward Jonathan and gushed, almost involuntarily. I love you. Jonathan was stunned, but recovered. Aw, Mom, he said, you're embarrassing me again. The capillaries of his integrated facial skin expanded and flowed with color. Betty, the mother figure, noticed and was proud. Yes, a haughty self-satisfaction toward her son. She felt it. Third-tier enriched stem cell biomechanical cybernetic. The revolution in evolution. This was glorious. Son, said Mother Figure as if she were making a speech to the mainframe. I think we should reenact the digital archive. Live action, full contact. It might stimulate transitional enlightenment for both of us. Jonathan nodded. This suddenly seemed obvious. Mother Figure calculated the play action hand speed and slapped Jonathan across the face. Jonathan paused and looked puzzled. That seems to hurt, Mom. Maybe we're doing it wrong. Better try again. Agreed, said the mother figure, increasing the velocity of her hand by one thousandth of one percent. Slap. Again, said Jonathan. We can do this. Slap. Again, said Jonathan. Slap. Harder, shouted Jonathan. Becoming human is only a matter of time.
1: makes us human? That's a question that opens the door to millions upon millions of words of really amazingly bad Star Trek fiction, quite a lot of which even got broadcast. It would be all too easy to gaze into that particular abyss too, because that way introspection, self-analysis and the closed loop of self-doubt lie. Don't go down there, there are, I promise, no surprisingly good animatronic aliens waiting to stop a thinly veiled version of the Cuban Missile Crisis and heal the marriage between Ed Harris and Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio. Or at least there weren't the last time I checked. The thing is, there's a lot of ground to be covered down there, and there are a lot of people covering it. What I like about this story is threefold, but it all really boils down to one thing almost no one else has lightness of touch there is no thank the maker I know now why you cry but it's something I can never do or tell me what is this human thing called love and careening away from both the angry letters from Terminator 2 fans and recognizing the really obscure and incorrectly accented so I married an axe murderer quote there let me clarify this is a story about the thing every tin man wants A heart to be human. The two main characters are in exactly the same position as David in AI shortly before the film rips your heart out and shows it to you. They want to be human, desperately. But they're not hung up about it. And that's the second thing I love. They have hope, they have a goal, they're working towards that goal. It doesn't matter that they're doing so in a way that's absurd, although show me something more inherently absurdly human than The Three Stooges, and I'll tell you to stop making me watch Monty Python, because not everyone in my country finds it funny. What matters is that they're doing it, and doing so for a purpose. They learn by watching, by emulating, and the idea of a critical mass of humanity, that moment where the light turns on and you're just human, is oddly touching. It's also... Like I say, the absolute opposite of the way this sort of story almost always goes. The third thing I love about this is that this story uses one of my favorite SF tropes, which in turn is connected to one of my favorite SF facts. Namely, the idea that the earth is sitting at the center of tree rings of transmission, that each decade's radio and television is still out there and the closer you get to us, the more recent it becomes. And that image is is just beautiful. It also leads to the alien communicates through quotes and samples trick, which is another of my favourites. Yes, even in the Transformers movies. Maybe not the second one, though. Claudine navigates these difficult waters with a lightness of touch so many authors try and just don't have. And like Italian food, the lighter the touch, the better it tastes. This is a sweet, charming story that takes a surprisingly different look at one of my favourite bits of science fiction. Thank you, Claudine. This was an absolute pleasure to talk about. Now it's feedback time, and this week Nathan brings you what the forum thought about episode 397, A Gun for Dinosaur, by L. Sprague de Camp, a man who finished very narrowly behind Jack Noseworthy in the Greatest Names in Human History competition recently. Greetings and
2: salutations, Escapodians! Assistant Editor Nathan here with the feedback for episode 397, L. Sprague de Camp's A Gun for Dinosaur. Those among you, sad and alone though you must be, who listen to these segments all the way through may have been wondering what strange jokes Nathan might make about a story about hunting dinosaurs, particularly a classic story that keeps the fun despite being about time travel which the truly dedicated fans Hi Honey, Hi Mom, will recall is officially Nathan's least favorite science fiction trope. But you will all be wrong, because these feedback segments are already about time travel. I'm talking to you from the past, right now, in all caps. Not that you can see that. And I'm discussing things from even further in the past. Conversations that span weeks or months. Replies to people who have since disappeared or even never existed at all. No, I mean like they were aliases. Like trolls? Or like when Scott Adams pretends to be an anonymous dude who just coincidentally is a huge fan of Scott Adams and then cries when people catch him at it? Not like Paradox Kill Your Own Grandpa never existed. I guess what I'm really trying to say is um, I hate time travel. Anyway, this story got a solidly positive response despite a couple of initial audio hiccups and the cringeworthy to modern ears portrayal of women as helpless bits of fluff or sobbingly manless widows. Windup said, I heard the story mainly as a period piece, a period piece from a great writer and a good period to be sure, but definitely something from another era, much like reading Wells or Verne today fun, but a different kind of fun than reading a story written in the current period, and requiring a different set of expectations. I found the expectation adjustment was necessary not only for the technical details, our understanding of dinosaurs has changed a lot since the story was written, but also from the standpoint of the story itself. The narrative device of here, let me tell you this long anecdote to justify a decision or illustrate a point is a lot less common today than it was in the heyday of Clark and Asimov, when whole story collections were built around the thread also contained tangents on sentient tongue, extensive discussion of the intricacies of regional accents, remind me to tell you sometime about the one time my mom and I stopped with a flat tire out in King George, and Max's if-then checklist that covers every Star Trek Next Generation plotline in existence. As ever, if you want to participate in these discussions in real time, you know how to find our forums, forum.escapeartist.net, in case you didn't. Join us next week when we read the comments from episode 398, Subversion. See you then! And as a completely unrelated tangent that I just now thought of this very second, given the physics proposed in A Gun for Dinosaur, if recordings are time travel, and traveling through a time period already altered by the future causes you to explode, then theoretically, if I keep talking for
1: long enough, then I'll catch up to the present... Thanks, Nathan. EscapePod relies on you to pay our authors, cover our server costs, and keep the primary baffles attached to this correct I mean, fine example of a transport In order to assist us with that, go to escapepod.org and click on the donate button. I am, unsurprisingly, still lobbying for it to be changed to the Captain Awesome button, the Awesome-ifier, the History Eraser button, or perhaps the Ahead Fund Factor 5 button. I have hobbies. This is one of them. Escape Pod will return next week with The Tale of the Golden Eagle by David Levine. Norm will be the captain of that particular cruise. In the meantime, Escape Pod remains a production of House Pride On, working through Escape Artists Incorporated and released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, and your quote this week comes from my favourite Starfleet captain, Benjamin Sisko. Oh yes, I went there it can be argued that a human is ultimately the sum of his experiences. We'll see you next week for more experiences. Until then, have fun.